Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, hello again. We are back into week number two of the exciting message series called Talking Points. And I am trying to convince you that there is a perfect blend between religion and politics. Now, but here's the reality that we all need to recognize, and that is politics change. I think about the first time that I cast my vote for a presidential election, uh, my guy won. Four years later, the person that I was back in lost. And then lost again. Then I won. And then I won again, and then I lost, and I lost again, and then I won. And so, but here's what I realized, that all of the faith that I put into that politician and all of the things that I thought they represented on my behalf, very rarely did they live up to what I was expecting. Very rarely did the things that I held in high esteem and high regard and valued, did that become mainstream in America because of the vote that I cast. Why? Because politics change. And the reality is this, that um, politics change based on our perceptions, based on our experiences, based on where we were raised, based on who we were raised by, based on our economic situation, based on the uh, level of love that we had for our job or the level of hate that we had for our job. Based on those perspectives, we all will find ourselves aligning our politics. And here's what's interesting. Today, I just want to do three very simple things. The first thing is I'm going to ask two questions and try to answer those. And then I'm going to make a very emphatic statement. And so the first question I have to ask is this. Where is your morality anchored? That's why I asked Sterling to uh, do that demonstration up here, because based on your morality is going to determine, do you win or do you lose? Based on our morality, it's going to determine our behavior towards other people. And here's the truth of the matter. When it comes to politics, we try to line that up with our morality, right? And what's the challenge is, in America, we have a two-party system. You've got other, you could write in a vote, but you realize what that means, right? You know, that's, that's a moral stand. That whoever you wrote in is probably not going to end up being the next president. And so we get these two choices, and we take our morality, and we attach it to that. And then we get disappointed six months later, 12 months later, two years later, eight years later, 20 years later. Why? Because politics change. And if our morality is based on our politics, it's going to change too. Let me give you an example in the church. Uh, alcohol. Just in my lifetime, the view on alcohol outside of the church and inside of the church has changed dramatically. There was a, uh, just 70 or 80 years ago, 
there was prohibition. Prohibition, you know, it was, you couldn't buy uh, alcohol anywhere around. And so people would make this illegally and, and they, would, they would profit from that. And today, the question in the church is, well, how much alcohol can I consume? And it still line up with scripture. Well, it's not just alcohol. It is also when we think about our moralities and we think about how that things change. Um, I think about divorce in the church. In 1960, it was unheard of. If you were divorced, uh, you could sit in the pews, but you couldn't stand on the stage. You couldn't lead in uh, worship. You couldn't serve in a leadership role in a church. And today, if we held that same standard, we wouldn't have any leadership in the church. Because very few people make it through a marriage anymore without being on their second or third one. Smoking. In the 1980s, find a movie where the main actor wasn't a chain smoker. In this decade, try to find somebody in the movies that's smoking a cigarette. Something's changed there. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. What I, I want you to know is it changed from 1980 to 2010. Abortion. 1972. Things changed in our country. And for 40 years, we had this argument in the church, well, you know, what stand should we take? And because we talked about the stand we took or should take and didn't take a stand, in 1972, they were talking about the first trimester. In 2020, we're talking about how old can it be? Where is your morality anchored? If you don't have an anchor, it will shift over 50, 70 years. It'll shift over six or seven months. Just think about your politics. I would argue that most of us, our politics have changed over the last 25 years. Many people will say that the party that I support has left me and so I'm going to the other party. Others will say that, you know, it hasn't changed a lick and, you know, you're the one who's changed. And, and so we, we take all these memes, we take all these one-liners and we throw them at each other. And the truth of the matter is, if we don't have an anchor point, our morality will change. There was a guy by the name of Rufus Smiles, um, a Princeton uh, professor who went into politics, and he had this saying, and that was that based on where you stand will determine where you sit. Well, you're like, well, that's not very profound. But what he was saying was based on where you stand on an issue will determine where you sit on the aisle in Washington, which side of the aisle. Now, Rufus Miles is a smart guy. Rufus Miles a very famous guy. But here's what I've learned is there are a lot of things that people talk about today that, that seem like it's original content, but it's not. And Rufus Miles, that wasn't original content because 3,000 years earlier, a psalmist penned these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And in Psalms 1 and verse 2, it says, or, or continuing verse 1, it says, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, as we look at that verse, what we see is a progression. Based on where you walk will determine where you stand, and based on where you stand will determine where you sit. 
And if we don't have an anchor point, our um, morality when it comes to alcohol will change. It will change based on, did you have a father who was an alcoholic and abused you? Did you have a, a wife or a daughter or a son who was killed by a driver that was drunk? That'll change your view on alcohol based on where you stand. When it comes to um, divorce, your view will change based on how you were brought up. Were you raised by a single mom who had been divorced? You'll have a whole different view on marriage than if you uh, were brought up in a home, the nuclear home, where there was a husband and wife and, and a family and they stayed together. And it's easy for us to look at everybody else and not understand where they're coming from and how in the world could they get there and how could they call themselves a Christian and believe that. And, and the truth of the matter is, the, morale, the, the moral anchor point is different than ours. But here's what the psalmist concluded in verse 2. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. So where should our anchor point be? This is, this is where we find our anchor point. Not it, I don't care if you're riding with Biden or you're on the Trump train. If your anchor point isn't right here, you're wrong. Does that mean you can't cast a vote? Trust me, whichever vote you cast, they're probably going to let you down on an issue that you support. Because here is where... We anchor ourselves because I, I, newsflash, God's view on alcohol hasn't changed in a couple thousand years. God's view on divorce hasn't changed in a couple thousand years. God's view on adultery hasn't changed in a couple thousand years. God's view on murder hasn't changed in a couple thousand years. And so while we, if we aren't anchored to God's word, we will find ourselves shifting like the sand. We will find our morality has changed over the years. I'll admit that I'm a very different guy than I was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was very abrasive. I was very aggressive. I was very in your face. If I was right, I wouldn't stop until you said those words. And today I've learned that I'm still right. But you don't have to say that anymore. I let you go on your happy way. Some things never change, Billy. So the first question is, where is your morality anchored? And the answer to the question should be God's word. If you find it anchored in God's word, you're going to be safe in the storm. Because in the storm, if you have the wrong anchor point or the anchor's not set tight, Bad things happen. Second question I want to ask you today is this. Is your Christianity appealing or is it appalling? What well, trick question. Because based on where you stand, some Christianity is appealing. And somebody that stands in a different direction and looks at it, it's appalling. So in the church, it's very appealing for us to recognize that abortion is murder. It's wrong. Doesn't matter if it's in the first trimester, if it's within the first 72 hours after the baby's delivered. That is wrong. We find that in God's word. 
And yet somebody will ask that same questions of Christians. Well, if you feel so strongly about the unborn, what about the, those that are being separated from their parents at the border? You hypocrite. Your Christianity is worthless. And the truth of the matter is that I can only speak from, from the, the place I stand. One who values life in the womb one who values life immediately upon birth would be the same person who values that life of that child separated from their parents at the border. But you see, in politics, we can uh, leverage, we can divide and conquer. And the reality is this, that both parties want the Christian vote so they'll win. Or they want the Christians not to vote so they'll win. That, that's reality. It's not because they value the Bible like we value the Bible. It's not because their moral um, anchor is, is set in place. And so what we've got to be careful of and, and ask ourselves, is our Christianity appealing or is it appalling? And, and here's what I want to tell you. We can live the most Christ-like life possible and there will be people who find it appalling. It's impossible. We'll just go back into the Gospels and read about Jesus being thrown out of towns because he healed the sick, because he cast demons out. So when I ask that question, is your Christianity appealing or appalling? I'm not trying to give you the answer because what you're doing may be appealing to me and other people who are like-minded because we stand there. There's people who stand somewhere else and they look at our Christianity and they see it as appalling. But I will rest on Jesus' words when he said this, because of my name, people will hate you. They'll spitefully use you. Constantine, in around 330 AD, he was a Roman emperor, and he was the first Roman emperor to embrace Christianity. For 300 years after the death of Jesus, Christians were persecuted. And it wasn't until Constantine came on the scene that he got to know some Christians and he established a relationship and he realized that they bring value to the Roman Empire. And at that time, there was a, a thing called infanticide. And basically, here's what would happen. Um, the Roman tradition was that if you had not named the child yet, it was up to the father whether he would live or die. So after the child was born, if they didn't like the look of the child, if they didn't like uh, the formation of the child, if it was missing body parts, if there was anything that the father didn't like, as long as he didn't apply a name to him, they can abandon it and just let it die. See, so we talk about abortion like this is something new. It just came up in 1972. This is this was before Jesus came on the scene, and thousands of years before that. And so um, Constantine embraced Christianity. He outlawed infanticide. And so it left the Roman Empire. But then, if you went to Asia, you will find out even to this day because of the population, that they will kill the female babies because they want a male baby to carry on the name and the legacy. 
in uh, Germany um, through the uh, centuries, the practice was as long as you hadn't started breastfeeding the baby, you could abandon it. See, those morale, those moral anchor points had changed. And when we look at the scripture for our moral anchor points, the Christianity will appeal to one group, and that same Christianity will be appalling to another group. This happened this week in New York City. I, I saw this, and I, and I had to bring it and show it to you just so you would believe me. But uh, there was a guy going along, and he this is uh, the picture there on your left is um, a guy taking a picture inside a Jewish synagogue. And he's looking to see if people are praying, if people are gathered. And if they are, he's going to call the police. And then the picture beside him is a picture of obviously a Jewish home where the police were called because the parking lot, uh, the, the parking on the street had been filled, knocks on the door, and he says because they had more than 10 people there gathered, he's going to have to arrest them. This is America in 2020. I love America. I love the religious freedom that we have. I love the fact that um, the same country that gives me the freedom to worship here with you on this Sunday morning gives the Jewish people the freedom to worship. Islamic people the freedom to worship. Folks, um, the freedom to worship was given to us by God. It's only government that takes that away. And so I'm happy to uh, praise our country for that. But the reality is this, that may not be the case 20 years from now. And, and here's the question. So right now, somebody sees that religion as appalling in New York City. And one day in Centralia, people are going to drive by this building and be appalled that people would claim the name of Christ here. And one day, maybe even in, in many of our lifetime, there will be chains put on that door so that we can't get in here on a Sunday morning. And here's the truth of the matter. If that happens, so what? Because when that happens, churches will pop up in homes all through Centralia. So, folks, I'm not going to go to the door and, and help them change. And I'm going to fight with every fiber that I have in my, every bit of strength, every bit of influence I have to protect our religious freedoms. I spent 28 years in the military willing to die so that our country could continue to have the freedom of religion. I'm a realist. And I recognize that since our country was founded, there have been people trying to take that freedom from us. Since our country was founded, there have been people trying to take other of our freedoms. Welcome to politics. And thankfully, every four years we get a vote. And maybe one of the questions I don't understand and have an answer to is, why that 40% of evangelical Christians don't vote. They'll be the very ones when the doors get locked by legislation that'll be the first to complain. So here's what I would tell you. There is an answer in Scripture. And I found this answer in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, and verse 28, it says these words. It says, there is neither 
And then he goes on to give this list, and here's what the list is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, why is the, one of the smallest nations in the world the most hated nation in the world, Israel? Why is that? Here is a nation no bigger than the state of New Jersey, and they are hated across the globe. You see, this is what the early church came out of, Judaism. And here in Galatia, Galatia is located in modern-day Turkey, but it was a, a Greco-Roman leadership. And so Paul says these words, there's neither Jew nor Greek. What made the Jews special? Well, here's what made them special. It's because in Genesis 6, God told a man that was named Abraham, through your seed, I am going to deliver the world. And because of that, you have to keep your family bloodline pure. And for thousands of years, Satan tried to destroy that bloodline. But he failed. And God's son, Jesus, came down in the form of a man, was born to a virgin named Mary, and he lived the perfect life. He died on a cross for us. He died on a cross for the men who put him on the cross. He died on that cross for the guy who signed his death warrant. He died for the person who's voting for the opposite candidate of you. He died for the person who has chastised you on Facebook. He died for the people who are going to be behind you in the line high-fiving you because you told them who you're voting for. Why? Because there's neither Jew nor Greek. Not only that, but they said there's neither slave nor free. Now, we kind of struggle with that whole concept of slavery here in America. It, it's easy. I've never owned a slave. None of my parents owned a slave. And so I don't understand that concept. And someone else can say, well, obviously I descended from. The whole reason I'm in America is because of slavery. And then we read Galatians 3.28, and it says that there's neither slave nor free. Well, obviously, at one point, there was slaves, and there were free people. And so the, then he doesn't stop there. He goes on, and he says, neither male nor female. Did you ever think we'd be in a time in our country where that could be questioned the way it is today in 2020? Where we've gone from having two sexes to, to select on the box to having 27? And it's e again, it's easy from our where we stand to not understand that. But here's what God said. There's neither male nor female. Now what he meant through the Holy Scripture was females at the time that this was written in the first century were not treated very well. They were treated bad. They were walked on. They were just a step above the slaves. They didn't, in our country, when we were founded, they didn't get a vote. And here's Galatians 3 telling us that there's neither male nor female. Okay, the truth of the matter is, there was Jew and there was Greek. There were slaves and there were free. There were males and there were females. That's reality. And what he's trying to, what's being said here is, that the role will be different 
but the position is still the same. In the family, there are 12-year-olds that struggle with schoolwork, and there are 32-year-olds that struggle with housework. Different roles, the same position. They're in the family. And so what Galatians 3.28 says it to us this way, for you were all one in Christ. See, that's why you can say there's neither Jew nor Greek. There obviously was. Today, we could, we could say that there is neither black or white. We could say that there's neither Republican or Democrat. We could say that there is neither. You pick your poison and the antidote. If we don't stop there, because the truth of the matter is, there are those things. That is a reality. But the, the moral foundation that we need to anchor to is Galatians 3.28 at the end where it says, for you were all one in Jesus Christ. So I've asked you two questions, and let me finish with this emphatic statement. And the emphatic statement is this, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. That's what Paul was saying. He's saying whether you are a Jew or you are a Greek, whether you are a male or a female, whether you're a slave or whether you're free, whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican, whether you're independent or whether you don't know what you are, I doubt that at any point in heaven, we're going to ask each other, all right, tell me, what were you? Who'd you vote for in 2020? How'd you get here? I don't think that that's going to be our conversation. Folks, I think it's important. I think that every person in America should use their right to vote. I thought it was so important for 28 years, I was willing to put my life on the line so that we can continue to vote. I'm appalled at Christianity that 40% of us don't. But folks, I'll wipe all of that away to stay focused on Galatians 3.28 and for us to be one in Christ. Don't let a political party divide you. Don't let... Folks, why do we have 50 different Baptist churches in a small town like Centralia? Because we allowed ourselves to be divided. And when those political parties get our votes, they're going to keep moving on. They're going to keep doing what they want. Now, I know we're going to try to put pressure on them, get them to do what we want. But the reality is this. If they do it or they don't do it, it ain't up to us. And, and here's where we struggle with, is that God puts the king into place. God, are you sure about this one? Huh? And God looks down, and if he could answer you, he'd say, I'm sure. Because it was the worst of the kings that released the Israelites to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And it's interesting how God uses the very people who are opposed to him to build his ministry, to build his gospel. Folks, the, the foot at the ground, uh, at the the ground at the foot of the cross, it's level. He doesn't see us as political affiliation. He doesn't see us as those who go to church every Sunday and those who skip a few and those who joined one day and never came back. You see, the love of God is the same 
all the way across. The only difference is, is what do we do with that love? Do we accept it, embrace it, or do we reject it? It's shown. Last week I closed with a, a prayer, and I want to show you this prayer again. And the prayer is very simply this. Heavenly Father, say those words with me. Heavenly Father, one more time. Heavenly Father, now before we go on, to be able to say that, you need to have made him your Heavenly Father. You may be here today. You may be watching online today, and you've never established a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're online, I would encourage you to go to our website, tbccentralia.com slash next. And right there, the first step is to get in and read through that. And you will see in God's word how simple it is. It culminates in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, with the heart, one believes in the salvation. You're here today. And you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. When the ladies come up in a few minutes and they sing, I'm going to be right up here on the front. I would love to show you how to do that. Stand to your feet. Say this prayer loud with me so I don't have to do this 10 times. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. One more time, all together. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. All right, here's, here's the glory. That no matter what happens in 10 days, when the election's over and the fighting starts, here's the reality. The tomb will still be empty. God will still be on the throne. Jesus is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible will still have all the answers. Jesus will still be the only way to heaven. Prayer still works. God is still with us. The cross, not government, has the answers. And Jesus will still save those who place their trust in him. And here's the reality. After the election, there'll still be room at the foot of the cross. It will still be level. And no matter how good your life has been or how bad it seems to be right now, you have a creator that loves you more than you can even imagine. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to continue to self-loathe and tell everybody and tell yourself more importantly how bad you are, how horrible you are, how that everybody else deserves a chance but me? Your heavenly father says not so. Because if it was only you, Jesus steps in front of them and says, I would have died for you. Last week we sang the song, It is well with my soul. Will you lift up your voices in prayer? Will you lift up your voices to your Heavenly Father? And can you truly say that no matter what happens, it is well with my soul? So, folks, I don't shy from politics. I'll sit down, let's talk. Whether we agree or we don't, I'm okay with that. But I would rather talk about Jesus. I would rather talk about Christ. 
I would rather talk about the gospel. I would rather talk about that I live a life that tries to glorify God. Yep, I fail. You know how many times I fail? That's about every day. Just about every day, I do something that's not glorifying to God. I open up God's word. And I find in there where it says these words, that if you will confess your sins, I will be faithful to forgive them. So I do that. And then I wake up the next day and guess what I do? I fail again. Maybe not as many times. Why? Because God is faithful. He'll never let go. And because he'll never let go, I can say, I can sing, it is well with my soul. Let's join. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.